feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? That Ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org. E-T-H-Y-K.org. Hello, welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with one of our fan favorites, Nick. Well, considering there's only two of us, that is a 50% chance that it's me. <laughs> fan favorite. Every time. All the time. I don't really think so. But I appreciate the gesture altogether. I don't believe I'm a fan favorite. I think I'm just a guy out here running his mouth trying to get an education. Hey, it could be worse. I didn't say it was bad. So here's something funny. We just re-recorded the first episode. Now we're recording the second episode, right? Uh-huh. And this is that banter portion where I'm always like, so, how you been? How do we do that when we just recorded an episode? Well, we have three options. One, we can do what we're doing right now, which I think is going swimmingly. Two, I could flat out lie. Or three, we could just reenact scenes from our favorite movies and hope no one notices. <laughs> well, because the only thing, there is only one thing happened since the last show to this show, and it's not really something to share. I mean, my internet didn't go out. You can share that if you'd like. Well, and then we took bathroom breaks. Michael, this is a family show. What are you doing? Well, did you hear <laughs> your mouth on the last show, Mr. Get no, Worked Up? I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, and I don't even know yet if the listeners will know what you're talking about or what I'm talking about because I haven't decided if it's coming out or not. I think it's coming out. <laughs> I think it should come out. I think that we are humans and we should not be censored. So you mean released as in going out, not coming out of the show cut out. I mean exposed to our ravenous fan base ah gotcha anyways so welcome everybody to finally a full regular episode of realistic sustainability this week we're going to talk about nature infused cities this is something that is constantly on my mind and i know that sounds a little weird but it is it is something that every time i walk through a town or a city every place i visit i look at how nature is excluded from how we live and it seems to be our design is how quickly and how far can we throw nature from us. And I think, Nick, you've said several times about removing the, the outside or the nature from outside or removing the nature from nature. And yeah, that's so, all I ever see. But it's true, though. It is, it's, I want the aesthetic of nature without the details of nature. It would be like wanting a puzzle. Okay, no, that's a good way to put it. Going to an art store, but buying a puzzle that someone else put together and glued together. When you have nature, if you will, like the outside and trees and grass, I'm just trying to say that people like the idea of nature without actual nature. Yeah, it seems like it's something that is purposely excluded. They they put a tremendous amount of work in removing it, and that's it's not the best way to do it. It's not the best way to manage a city so it's comfortable for people. And that's the realistic side, is that if designed to be a, to have this symbiotic relationship with nature, things would work a thousand times better. It would, it would all function so much better. No, I agree. I think that when people start realizing that when you're part of an ecosystem, that means you all have to work harmoniously together. 
And they start realizing that just because something isn't your idea of beauty doesn't mean it doesn't have a purpose to serve. We'll all be better off. And I say that because I'm a big advocate of bees and bugs. I really am. Some I don't like. Obviously, I don't like mosquitoes and flies. I do believe they are Satan's yeah. vessels. But the rest of them, the rest of them I enjoy. And, and I actually, I understand flies. You know, flies, when they lay their eggs, maggots, throughout their life cycle, break down whatever tissue they're eating. I, I understand. I get it. They're just gross. Right. Well, and there's and sometimes there's reasons to have nature in your nature. There's ways to solve issues with comfort through allowing nature and we in the last episode we were talking about moving bats and having them within the city and knowing where they're at because you kind of want them right you want them to eat all the bugs you want them to be there and do their job and in order to do that they have to be around and when you chase everything away it's not as comfortable we spend twice as much money to chase them away just so we can spend more money on what they would have resolved. And that happens yeah. with more than one species. Yeah, I mean, and, we knock birdhouses down to make birdhouses. Right, right. Oddly enough, just like I've said in the past, and we say it over and over again, sustainability is almost always cheaper than what we currently do. But yeah. turns out that if we integrate it in and stop creating food deserts for nature of all all species and integrated ways for them to live amongst us we would we would really do ourselves a favor well i think that the benefits societally speaking and just personally speaking from being more understanding and welcoming to our fellow stewards of this planet would speak for themselves if you go outside and you okay so i I live in a house and in front of my house is a flower garden my flower garden is full of hostas, as you know, and they've been in bloom for some time. It looks great out there. But it's not like they just, that kind of stuff doesn't just happen. Like, we have lots of bees and other bugs around that, you know, they help facilitate that kind of stuff to happen. They facilitate the, the plants to spread. I've got a, a black walnut tree that's just caked full of walnuts. I mean, I've got another walnut tree out back. The fact of the matter is, is that insects and plants live in a harmonious synergistic way like they, they need each other they do they benefit from each other and there's no reason why we should be doing the same thing yeah yeah and so part of what we're going to talk about today is some of the things how nature creates an advantage in an urban setting okay and it's not all wildlife sometimes it's foliage because in a lot of cities it's just concrete as far as the eye can see concrete and asphalt with tiny little spots here and there and it's usually grass that is not native. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. it's it's a really uncomfortable environment. When I was in Nashville, it was like being on a skillet. Like I was everywhere, there was no place to hide. It's What's terrible. I, I call it ornamental agriculture. You take a city or like a, a giant building, like I mean large building, and you put a little decorative square, little little walkway in the middle of it, completely away from all water sources except for man-made ones. Then you fill it with things that aren't native to the area and may be pretty but might not really serve a purpose. And yeah, there you go. There's your little green getaway. And I understand the reason they do that, but it's just sad. Yeah, and it's, I don't know, It's it bothers me. Like I said, well, when I travel the cities, I look. And when I was in Nashville as of late, it was bad. It really was. I mean, for a large city that is supposed to be doing some things to make it more sustainable, 
it was just a concrete jungle. So the very first thing I look for is shade. I look for trees. I look for ways that trees can be distributed throughout the city and throughout the area, which, because there's a lot of, there's a ton of benefits to a tree. And I know the first time we tried to record this, you had some, some critical ideas, but it's, it, the shade creates an energy reduction on a lot of buildings. It reduces the streets and sidewalk temperatures, increases drainage. So you get less of that water rushed down the street when you have opportunities for water to travel down through the root systems. It creates right. home for that nature we're trying to keep close and I'm all sorry. around comfort. I'm sorry, you smacked me at the front of this with critical ideas. <laughs> what were my what were my critical ideas? You were what, talking what? about you don't remember? You were talking about how like the trees downtown areas I remember what I said. To... I remember what I said. Well, let's say it again. Let's go. I said that I don't think it shows a whole lot of forethought when they put trees in those areas and they put small little cutouts in the concrete in a tree that in 25 years is going to be three feet around. I, I think that, or three feet wide. I think that they should choose their species of tree a little better. And then we went on this long talk about wood chips and you know, stuff like <laughs> that. But the fact of the matter well, is that it, I'm all about shade. I'm all about you know everything you just said, 100% supporting it. I just don't think willow trees and oak trees are great choices for cities. Well, and That's one of the not... reasons why they put the cement squares around them, those can, those can be cut out and widened over time. Nothing but if we like leave them more too work wide, well, if you leave them too wide, you end up with all this other... First of all, it's more green space. They absolutely hate that. Uh, at least here in town, I've already <laughs> tr- trying to fight the uh, trying to fight the, the mulch volcanoes as Oh, yeah, the go. mulch vultures. So, in reality, we wanted, it would be great if there was just this long strip of green that these things can grow into. But it seems like the current process is build a square, cut it bigger, cut it bigger, cut it bigger. And for That's, some reason, and I don't know. security is all that is. Well, I don't even know the reason, but it seems like when you mulch volcano something, it seems to bring the roots up instead of down more often than that. I don't know why. Because moisture. Yeah, you get this lifting effect from the root roots, system. Roots go down because they follow water. I mean, they need to drink. The tree needs to live. Right. There's no water on the surface. The sun takes care of that. It's evaporation. So when you put you cover the base of a plant with mulch, mulch is a giant sponge. It's a bunch of dead wood. What is porous? Mm-hmm. It's not. It's just it stays wet. And yeah, I didn't think about that. Well, I mean, it's fine to a degree, but at the same token, like yeah, it stays wet, which means there's more pests, which means maybe some of those insects are actually going to do damage to the roof. What if they're going to do damage to the tree? Like we're going to go on this whole long rant we did last time, and I'm going to say the same stuff. <laughs> well, we should. You're right. When you mulch up to the to the base of a tree, it holds a lot of moisture up against the the bark and the the wood there. It it tends to create disease and fungus and things that can harm the tree. Increased insect issues. You know, there's a lot of that stuff. That's why we're fighting it here locally. It's one of those things that should go away. I think so. I think the grass is. You know, it's it's it's. It's organic and it's green and it's beautiful and you can put clover down with it. They'll be friends. It'll be awesome. It's so much more attractive than, than painted or dyed wood chips. And you call Whoa. it mulch. It's wood chips. Like it's, it's painted it's, wood it's, chips at that. It's, it's, I'm going to grow you in the, in the ashes of your deceased cousins. So all these dead trees, 
We're going to make them red or black or orange or green or blue or whatever color you want to buy. And then we're going to put them there. And then the only way to do that, we're going to have to either repaint them or remove them and put new ones there every year. Yeah. Because don't we love, don't we love dye being washed by rain into our soil? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> no. It's super great. It's not. Fantastic. It, well, and they always say it's less maintenance, but half the time it gets washed all over the streets. They got to sweep it up. They got to push it back where it's supposed to go. I don't My... understand why that's a selling point. Like, I I, to some degree, yes. Okay. And here comes another rant. Yeah, it's less maintenance, but you know what should be, you know what should take maintenance? Taking pride in your town. You should take pride in your town. It should take maintenance. It should take a little bit of work. So if you don't like it, boo-hoo, get a different job. Well, and it's, it's you gotta remember the concept of cities for the last 80 years, probably 100 years has been people and cars. That is it. The only things you build your infrastructure for are people and cars. No one thinks about the comforts of, of nature. No one thinks about nature in general. They think about connect. How many cars can we get there and get out? And how many people can be in those cars? Well, that's yeah, it. I, I understand that you're talking about the efficiency of travel, but like, it's just backwards, Michael. Yeah, I agree. It's just one of those just how it's been done for all these years and that's why I like to see these changes. I like to see that our city listens to some of those. Now, will I get my way? I don't know. But what I ask is some natural Michigan native grasses and clover. You can even do creeping thyme. That you can get that in blue and white. You know, these are the city colors. But really, clover, like the miniature clover or just not the giant grasses, clover. Not giant clover. Miniature clover will minimize how much of it grows up and out, and it takes very little maintenance. But Michigan native grasses are tall, bushy, you know, like what we see in our up north areas in the uh, dunes. I think the word you're looking for are weeds. That's what we call hmm. them here. That's the like, natural Michigan grass. You're right. It is a natural Michigan grass. Anyone that knows anything about grass, but the people that like that Kentucky blue, it's a weed. <laughs> yes, I. Well, but so that's that's the conversation we're having. We'll see how it works. But I, mm-hmm. I, again, clover being there will grow on its own on a regular basis. Clover seed is very cheap for when you really need to reseed, and it's mm-hmm. actually even cheaper than mulch. Mm-hmm. With mulch is cheap, but clover is very cheap seed wise. Because mm-hmm. I was looking at. Reseeding my whole yard with clover and just letting it take over from the grass. Really? Mm-hmm. Would the city give you trouble for that? Yes, I'm, absolutely. I'm not trying to be rude. Like, won't they cry about it? Yes, currently, yes, but we're working on that too. So I happen to love clover just because. Now, like, correct me if I'm wrong. When you say clover, are you talking about the the small leafy clover or the purple flower clover? The you I look I always look for the purple flower clover because I it's a uh, bees like it. It's a lot of times the first food of the year for bees, along with dandelions and it's, it's the local bunnies. Local bunnies will feed off it, and not your gardens and your young plants. I'm a local bunny, though. Have you ever eaten one of those things? <laughs> they are pretty they're, sweet. <laughs> they're very sweet. They're very tasty. Uh, I agree. It is something that I think should be a lawn. It, that should be the lawn, not our actual lawns, because... At least it has purpose. Well, it has you know? purpose. It does. And it has, 
I guess I call it biodiversity, at least in today's landscape. Most of the grass you see has been imported from other places in the country. And so you have like, I guess they call it like a food desert, you know, especially during certain times of the seasons for bees. And so if you have those, those early food sources, they're great. And they give nice, I like colors. I like flowers. I like looking out and seeing things that are beautiful. So if I'm a big fan of purple. You know, what I found out recently is that blue, the color blue in nature is rare when it comes Doesn't to exist. flowers and plants and all that. Yeah, I didn't, it was ball horticulture, of course, in a conversation because I have been trying loosely looking for the bluest pepper so I can steal the seeds and keep trying to produce. I want a blue bell pepper so that it could be a, that could be a Durand species. A blue pepper? Blue. Well, they have like all the, there's, there's purple, there's red, there's orange, there's yellow, there's green, there's tons of bell peppers. I understand that. I just don't think you're going to find a blue one. Blue doesn't well, really exist in nature. Oh, I hear. I was completely unaware of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can generally, blue in nature is reserved for things that are poisonous that can kill you or butterflies. But yeah, I don't, I'm thinking right now, I don't know if I know of any foods that are blue. I, I know that lots of, so, okay, like take a blueberry, right? Blueberries are, are kind, they're blue, they're blue to a degree. Different species of blueberries vary in color, but most blueberries are, so I don't know if I'd call them dewy or dusty, but like they look blue and then you put your finger across when they, they're a dark purple, like the color right. changes. And they're not color change, like temperature sensitive. They're just, uh, I don't, it's, it's, it's strange, uh, but blue, man, I don't know. I, I can, you know, if you want like a blue soup, I could boil you some purple cabbage. I'll get you some blue broth. <laughs> but I don't know where you're no, going to find I blue. No, I did not know that blue was a color not found in nature. Not edible nature, no. Not that, not here. I, I mean, I don't know what there could be overseas. There's always things I've never had before. Right. Well, the, in a city, we look for these green spaces. Trees were the number one thing for me. There's also these large chunks of green spaces, although having those green spaces is a good thing, except for the fact that, well, to be fair, it cuts off the biodiversity as long as we, if, if we don't have like land bridges so that creatures mm -hmm. can get from one spot to the other. We talked about this not too long ago. It creates these island habitats throughout areas when you have these little parks and you don't have ways for creatures to get from one spot to another. And mm -hmm. so there is some drawback to having some of this additional green space. But I'll tell you right now, I'll take a small park over no park 100% of the time. Oh, I agree. I think that having a little bit is better than none. I definitely agree. And I think that when it comes to at least in, in communities like Durand or even towns like Montrose, if you do have like like where your guys' um, city parking lots are, you know, and in those areas where there's like flower pots and there's things that are planted or there's a random tree, like anything's better than nothing. If we're talking right. about being, you know, good stewards and being cohabitating with insects and, and, and other wildlife, like we need something there, anything. But more the better, more the merrier. Right. So those islands that are out there within the city are, are still important. Plus, that refuge and that opportunity for nature does still keep it closed, but not on top of the city. A good example is where I work. They have a huge nature refuge, and you get to see turkeys and deer and all kinds of animals really? pass through there. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that's cool. Yeah, and it, that whole area is heavily populated with creatures, but on the other side of the fence. So we still get to enjoy them. We still get to see them. They're well protected, but it's not going to ever integrate over mm-hmm. to us. So it got to find the balance. You have to find the balance to where nature is near around us, but it isn't uh, creating harm. It isn't, you know, we're not hitting deer with the vehicles and things. That's that's a good thing. They make a right. lot of mess. Yeah. Well, I told you a story one time that I was trying to get to work one day and there was turkeys blocking the road. Mm-hmm. And a large male turkey was apparently in the middle of a fight with himself in the reflection of a of a Silverado's bumper while all the females were passing by. He was blocking traffic, puffed up, headbutting this truck and attacking this truck while they were all passing by. He probably <laughs> so, thought the truck was threatening. But we have to we have to be able to integrated in as much as possible. So like a, that's why I like the Edible Landscape Project. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's food, but it's integrated in. So where we would usually have bushes that are cut perfectly and certain plants that have to look a certain way, we can sneak food in there too. And it creates color. It creates variety. And you get, it's just another species of something that is there that wouldn't necessarily always be there. Another thing I saw was, and we talked about this for a little bit, was the bricks that you can get when you're towards the top of buildings and oh, you're yeah. building. I had no idea about those. So there's two different kinds. There's the bricks where they drill the holes of different sizes and mm-hmm. bees and other insects can live in them. But there's also bundles of bamboo cut back to create these little holes that bees will go into also. And these are things that we can do on the tops of buildings to where bees can create homes. I mean, we can also have beehives. They're in, the, in some cities, they have these massive beehives, beekeeping beehives on the tops of the buildings. The problem is, is most cities are a food desert. Yeah, absolutely. They are. And, and that's honeybees of, have to go a long ways to find their food. I know. And that's today at the store, I see, the, like, I don't know, 15, 20 bees like, sitting on a puddle of something. They must have liked whatever it was. They were drinking it down. Well, and this is that time of year where they have, where they start getting a little more aggressive. The food is a little more harder to find. It's getting a little cooler outside. So when they find it, they're going to sop up every bit of it they can. Mm-hmm. So seeing some of these things, rooftop bees are a great idea if there's something to eat. And as, as long as we have these islands all over the town or city, of foliage and wildlife and mm-hmm. flowers and edible landscape food, then you're fine. But if it's just concrete as far as I can see, you're just going to run out of bees. Mm-hmm. I agree. And it's nice that I saw in this that I wrote this before the discussion in the last meeting, but bat houses. You don't want a bunch of mosquitoes and gnats and bugs flying around you on hot, muggy days in your town. Have bat houses hidden all over the place. Let bats go eat their body weight every single night in insects. Because that's another thing that you can do that just improves everything about nature is have these symbiotic relationships. I like green walls. Green roofs are still kind of a new thing. There's challenges, I know, with green roofs, but I hope that becomes more and more common because they help reduce energy. 
it's got to be constructed correctly. Absolutely. Now, we're talking about on the back of Dabble, because we were talking about painting that cement fence, but now we're also talking about making it a green wall. What should we do? But having green walls like that in town, again, another place for nature to hide, still be close, birds to be sitting there chirping, the things that we enjoy hearing, and then they're still there, but not in the way of people, which is still kind of a rude thing to say, but it's the reality. It's not, it's not a rude thing to say. I mean, the fact of the matter is we are the apex predator of the planet. It, it's not rude to want them to be able to coexist without getting in our way, because really what you're saying is killed, obliterated, squished, ran yeah. over. I mean, we do have vehicles and stuff. Uh, but I want to touch on the you said the the concrete fence behind Dabble. How would you make that into a green wall? I mean, is are you able to punch through the the concrete right there and get into the dirt? And what would you plant? And then would it do damage to the fence? Well, there's always a chance that you could do damage to a fence. But what I'm what we're looking at is we would build kind of the wooden trough effect at the bottom. Okay. With a high nutrient soil, that's where all of our coffee grounds and things from Dabble would yeah. end up going. And then we would have to make sure we're maintaining it, taking care of it, all the normal things. But that would allow vining plants to grow up the wall. Now, the other part you're talking about, can it damage the wall over time? Absolutely. Vines are slow grow. They make you know wedges into everything. They create holes for water. They're swelling. We will probably have to periodically replace sections of that fence if we want it to maintain. But it will take years before there's real damage. Well, for me, what I was more so thinking about is that certain species of vines that are, that are, you know, have evolved to climb, you know, they have these little spiral things that they kind of grow into cracks and crevices to anchor them to whatever um, they're growing up. And they're fine as long as you don't remove them. But if you were someone were to try to remove, try to clean it up, if you will, for those that didn't see my little air quotes, that's when you would destroy the fence. It would come right apart. That's those fences that you have are really cool. Like I don't know if the pain constitutes a fence. It's more like wall art. I think they're awesome, mm-hmm. but they're not the most sturdy. Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, they're quite sturdy. It's just a matter of once they start to lose their integrity, you have to fix it, or it will just cascade. And at some point, it becomes unstable, and that's when we see some problems. So. Another thing we were talking about last time was making sure we had, we still have our cement walkways because in cities and towns, there are certain individuals who require that. We have citizens who can't necessarily always walk down a trail. They need it either for wheelchairs or walkers, they need solid surfaces to function even crutches, on. But, even crutches. Even, yep. And, but it'd be nice to see more nature trails, other routes, routes through nature places to sit in those spots where people can enjoy it, you know, that kind of thing. Creating the, anytime you're making a town walkable and bikeable, you're already reducing the amount of animals that can be killed by cars and trucks. So Mm -hmm. let's create these other avenues for people to move from place to place that isn't get in my car, drive over there, get in my car, drive over here. And trails can do that, both, both for walking and biking. One of the things that I like about putting more nature in our towns is it creates a ton more natural dra- natural drainage. You get a lot less of this 
overflow through the towns. You get this cracked concrete now sends water towards a building and you get damage. When you have a lot of these wide open ground spaces, you recharge the aquifer with that water. It doesn't make it all the way down the street because it gets caught by all these natural points and it drains down. If you've got a tree there, it's not that it drinks it fast. It just hits that tree and follows down through its root structure, mm-hmm. helping it into the ground, out of our way, and on its way to recharging the aquifer. People really underestimate foliage and its ability to stop flooding. Well, I don't know if they, they don't underestimate it, so understand it. So when you take a tree, and, and this is, I don't know, I guess this is the ignorant man looking at it. An ignorant man who's tried and failed to pull vehicles, sorry, to pull trees out of the ground with vehicles. So you have this massive root system that, that anchors a tree in place. And yeah, it anchors it there. It allows it to go straight up and, and out and distri- distribute all this weight. But it also drinks from that ground. And it does exactly what you said. It creates openings. So when it does rain, water runs down and goes replenishes the aquifers so the water has a place to drain the tree holds the soil in place like it is un- i'll say uncountable if you will the amount of ways that we benefit from the existence of trees that if they could build a machine to do what trees do everything a tree does it'd be like the world would be fixed overnight yeah good luck trees yeah, are an amazing a feat of engineering if you will you cannot make one item that does all the things a tree does. Anyways, the other thing I was looking at was, of course, help create as much biodiversity as possible. We talked about land bridges, different ways to be able to allow different species to get from spot to spot. That's still very important. And I think you can do that with some of your trails because you can create small pathways where creatures can get from side to side without it really taking up a ton of space. I think most of your spots can be connected if designed correctly. Well, I think that the, the biggest benefit of a land bridge, a true land bridge, would be it has to be remote enough that it isn't heavily, heavily traversed by people. It needs to be walkable, yes, but most wildlife that we, we referenced in the other episode, we're talking rabbits, deer, that kind of stuff, they have such a healthy fear of humans that if, if we're there, they won't they won't be. Which right. isn't necessarily a good thing if that's what the area is meant for, is to kind of you know, give them spaces to traverse where they're not you know, going across the road getting hit by a car. So it needs to be remote and functional, but not alienated and alone. It, it's got to have a balance. It, it's got to be respected long enough for enough generations of animals to be born that don't have such a fear. Like, I, I don't want rat, rabbits and here to come up to me out of my hands, but I also don't want them to stay out of an area because I walked through it once. Right. Well, and I, I kind of would like them to come eat out of my hand. We were just so, yeah. at a, we were at a restaurant a couple days ago. Jamie and I were talking to the owner out back, and it was so funny because this bee is flying around, and this lady is all kind of freaking out about this sweat bee, and there was another, there's a couple of different bees out there. Mm-hmm. Again, they're a little more aggressive this time of year. They're not trying to harm. They're just trying to find food. And I walked over and just held my hand out. And they landed on my hand and I walked away. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, they're not going to hurt you. They will if you s- start swinging. 
what I'm, yeah, and they're, they're sitting in my hand and I walk mm-hmm. over somewhere else and they fly away and I come back like they're fine. <laughs> the bees won't hurt you. Mm-hmm. We just got to get that mentality out there a little bit more. And it, it's, it's fun to be able to do that. I like it when animals come up to me or we have rabbits here in, in Duran that are the bravest creatures on the planet. Well, I'm not saying that I don't like it when they come up to me, but I am telling you from experience that when an <laughs> animal is comfortable enough for you to eat out of your hand, mm-hmm. some people want to pet it. And they may okay. not be receptive to being touched, and you might get bit. I happen to know a guy, not mentioning any names, but... Are you, he, are you pointing at you? Maybe I am. <laughs> okay. Um, when I was a kid, when I was younger... Uh, we used to camp at this campground up north by, it's by the Sulaks, and, uh, the, the, the black squirrels are incredibly friendly and trusting and tolerant. Cause they know that you'll, you'll feed them. So they'll come right, right out of your hand and feed out of your hand. Don't try to pet them. They'll chew you up, but <laughs> they will eat out of your hand. And I, ever since then, I've always been like, and maybe that, that might be the reason why every time I see a really, really ferocious animal, I'm like, oh, it just wants to cuddle. Like, I just want to touch it. <laughs> All right then. I did not know that you had gone through some kind of trauma with uh, the wildlife of black squirrels, but good to know. It bit my finger. <laughs> Anyways, you seem like you're more awake now. The first episode we, we recorded, you were very tired. I am very tired. The first episode, I really had to use the restroom the whole time. Ah. And so as the, as the episode progressed, in my attempts to not have to leave before we were done, I, I woke up. I'm... I'm awake now. Oh, well, that's going to segue in because I talked about in the first episode that I'm going to keep everybody updated on this Magic Mind drink that I'm trying. I haven't tried it yet. I know. know. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to update everybody real quick on this. I've done about four days in drinking it. And now I've gotten to a point where that unique taste, I've gotten over the, the milky green look of it. And I actually look forward in the morning to taking it. These, it is, I do not feel the jitter. I do not feel the energy boost it it will boast. What I do realize is that as my day is ending, I did it without being tired, at least thus far. I look at it like, as I use it more and more, I'm going to get a realistic understanding of it all. It does have a very unique taste that I think is sweetened, if I had to guess, by carrots. I don't, I can't even pretend to guess the rest of it. But what I can okay. tell you is, so far, I like taking it in the morning. I'm no longer forgetting it or skipping it. And I am taking it alongside my coffee. We all know I have a, a minor addiction to coffee. No, so, not you. So I still, I'm still drinking my coffee. But right now, they it's starting to feel like some of the things they say, that productivity shot if you will the vitamin b's and d's and all the things that are in it i like it thus far i i don't like throwing away a little plastic bottle so i'm keeping them i don't know what i'm going to do with them quite yet i'm going to find a home for them but as of right now i kind of like it i wish it came in a bigger jug that i could pour out into little things and just drink that each time but yeah that'd be, that'd be easier instead of a, you know a bunch of two ounce bottles but that's something Maybe they'll get a hold of me. Maybe that is made in a way that plastic is extra biodegradable. I haven't seen. But in the meantime, I like it. At least for now, I got a ways to go. I do like it. So we'll go, we'll move on, but I wanted to let everybody know 
It's not like something that just, you know, I disliked or liked in the beginning and it's changed over time. I'm starting to get accustomed to it. And it seems like it accumulates a little bit that if I continue to take it, my energy is better than usual. Gotcha. And I needed that, honestly. <laughs> I did. So we'll see. I'll keep going. If you never come and get yours, I'll work my way through all of them and we'll go from there. Oh, I'll get them. It just takes me a sweet time. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not, not great with time and priority management. Anyways, back to the show. When I wrote this episode, all I could think of in the very beginning was how do we redesign cities to infuse nature and kind of force it in, right? But maybe we have to integrate nature into our cities for a different purpose. Not looking at nature as the original reason like I started with, but to get our residents to reconnect and recreate our respect for nature. And so I started to look at it a little bit differently. So this is one of those episodes I started in one place and ended in another. And I started thinking about things we can do here, like create public workout spaces. And I know you said last time not everybody wants to work out where people can be seen. And I get that. That was the first thing people said about yoga at Dabble when I'm like, oh, put us by the windows so everybody knows what we're doing. Everybody gets a little self-conscious. I get a little bit more than a little bit. (laughs) So, But things like yoga in the park does more. Okay, we talked about sick building syndrome year after year after year. If we're working, even in my building, with all the filtering systems and the air movers and the things that I have in this building, there's still always some level of sick building syndrome. Doing your exercise outside would be amazing. Fresh air. And I'm just gaining some respect for yoga. I'm just learning it. But I'm a big guy and breathing is hard. (laughs) <laughs> you just kind of standing in a spot and breathing is hard or I'm compressing parts of me on other parts of me and breathing is hard. Getting fresh oxygen would be fantastic. I'm squeezing places into places. I didn't know that I had places. Oh, our uh, instructor was like, hey, move like this. Don't worry. You may have to move parts of you. <laughs> she's really in tune with the, with the, with the crew she's got. So... Do you remember Dustin had the television during P90X with me where the oh, guy's yeah. like, okay, hold this pose for 30 seconds. You can do anything for 30 seconds. That's and not necessarily true, we found out. We're, we're bending over, leaning back with an arm in the air, shaking <laughs> like we're having a seizure, ready to fall. Like, no, you can't do anything for 30 seconds, but you can try for two seconds 30 times. I, I right. just, it's, uh, yoga's amazing. If you can get through enough of it, to show yourself that you can do it. You can do amazing things with it. You can. And I hope, and that's why I'm going to continue to do it. But I've thought about in some of our parks, maybe setting up having those wooden platforms where people can put their mats on and an instructor can come out and teach a class right in the park. Someplace dedicated so you're outside hearing the birds chirp, feeling the wind while you're doing this stuff. And I only say put the little platform on for two reasons. It gives you a solid surface for your mat to be on. And also, it kind of dictates this is what it's for instead of just being on the ground. When you say wooden platform, are you kind of explaining to me what you mean? Because I think I have an idea, but I'm not sure. It's, it's, It's basically like a deck that lays on the ground in a sense. It's only three, four inches off the ground, but it kind of dictates that space for a different kind of use. Okay, so yeah, so I see those a lot in all different parks, and I love about them is that they're 
they're multifaceted in the sense that it literally it's just it's a block. It's just a deck. It's usually I don't know like five by five or six by six. They're not huge. Mm-hmm. You call people can do yoga on them. You can do aerobics on them. You, if you decide you want to go play your guitar in the park or practice jazz, you can sit right there and do it. It's perfect. Yeah, I feel like we need to see more of that. We need to have more experiences in nature. Doing the things that humans want to do, but in nature will slowly give us that appreciation. We'll start defending the nature because we enjoy it more. And we, and when you enjoy something, you protect it. And that's why the second half I was talking about all these little things. It really is probably a bigger deal to just find ways to get people to be outside. The rest will probably over time work itself out. Another I one agree. is what is I'm trying to accomplish right now. And if they're listening or I may tag them, but I think it's Interfusion Inc. makes outdoor seating picnic tables that are solar powered. People can sit there with their cell phones and laptops and different things, plug it in. They're not hooked to the network. It's all solar driven, allowing people to be outside doing people things, but it's in nature areas. That is, listen, I think that's awesome. I have my a mixed bag of emotions on solar-powered picnic tables and plugs. Okay. Because I think people being on social media, being antisocial with each other, just bad enough in a room, now <laughs> they get to sit out in nature and ignore nature? Uh, <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. But, to be fair, what I will say this, if they do that, eventually... <laughs> Because all screens are pretty much black, the sun will heat them up enough where the phones won't work, and they'll have to be in nature. So the the whole concept is that people are going to do people things anyways. Give them a comfortable space outside to where, even if it's subconscious, they start to enjoy being outside. They get fresh air. They start getting the benefits of being outside. Because if you do that, then they're probably going to be outside more, right? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. So I am doing shameless promotion or whatever you want to say, trying to get at that company's attention to see if we can get one here at Dabble or, you know, outside where people can work, do their job, be outside and enjoy the the comforts of outside. But I have not won yet. I have not got their attention. Well, you keep doing it. You'll get it eventually, I'm sure. I'm usually pretty good at getting at getting people's attention when I really want it, but persistence, Michael. So far, it's just not it's not to be. But anyways, having those things throughout the cities are fantastic because people will sit at them, still use their electronics, still do the things that they would have done anyways. They just do it outside. Mm-hmm. So there's that. There is, I think that, and you were telling me that there are places. K through twelve classrooms should have a spot outside that they you know they can yeah. rotate or go out there when when it's available. I I know Montrose has an outdoor classroom. I don't know how often it's used and what grades use it, but I know they have one. Okay, yeah, it, I think if you start kids kids like outside to begin with. I mean, my generation was just kind of left outside, and we grew up outside. But I know TikTok young, tells me every day <laughs> younger. Younger generations didn't have that. So putting these environments outside gives them a little extra appreciation for it. Now, granted, it's going to be a little harder to keep attention. Birds are chirping, things are moving, wind is blowing. 
bad enough in a cement <laughs> cement block room to keep their attention, you're probably going to have some people dozing up, or not dozing up, but kind of daydreaming. But I think it's a perfect trade-off. I think it's absolutely okay for a trade-off. I completely agree. 100% agree. I do think that it'd actually probably be a little easier for them to focus outside as long as they're learning about being outside. I don't think it'll be a problem. I mean, yeah, there'll be a lot, gosh, stimulate, a lot more stimulation, but it won't be in a bad way. It's not like they're watching their classmates act a fool. It's stuff they see at home in their own yards. So they're comfortable with it. it. It's nice. I mean, for me, I, I'm almost the most at peace I could be when I'm just sitting on my porch on a nice breezy day watching the tree move. Like it's just, it's, it's mesmerizingly beautiful. Yeah. And it, it, it creates the appreciation, but it, it does those things. I think we should have more gazebos in our parks. So people use them for weddings and birthdays and get togethers that creates more outside usage. I think that we should encourage open air markets, sidewalk sales, allowing towns and cities to move things outside so that people spend more time outside. Matter of fact, mm-hmm. if you're in a city and outside it's so hot and miserable and you're like, well, I can't do that because it's so hot and miserable, that tells you that you have not designed your city correctly. <laughs> you need to start making some changes, create shade, make comfort, or your businesses will never survive in a concrete 100% environment. Agree. I agree. You know? yeah, I 100% agree. And you know I'm going to say that every square inch should be analyzed and that food should be found everywhere fruits and vegetables in as many places as humanly possible and Mm -hmm. and for those of you who don't think it can be done please stop in and see us here in durand where there's an abundance of food bring a bag because you can send you home with groceries (laughs) i agree with everything you just said i'm gonna plug myself again every bit should be tasty bits (laughs) (laughs) oh okay Uh, yeah that was good it was good i guess why i laughed i couldn't stop myself But no, I agree. I think that because that's kind of what we've created as humans. There is food in every single building you go into. You're like, oh, I'm gonna go get you know my brakes done. You're sitting there at the, the mechanic, and oh, look, there's a candy thing on the table. There's always something to eat. So why not fill our space with like good stuff and beautiful fruits, and vegetables, and cucumbers? They're not beautiful, but they're delicious. I mean, we're not growing Snickers, but you've got everything yeah. you ever need. My favorite is watching kids ride down the street pulling cherry tomatoes. Right. To them, it's like little balls of candy that are free, and they feel like they're getting away with something. But in the meantime, they've probably never really tasted a real cherry tomato. You know, so. No, real cherry and grape tomatoes are delicious. Like, they're really (laughs) good. And that's what I like about this is that, you know, build the environment for people who want, they'll start wanting to spend time out there. Mm Mm-hmm. You fill it with food, you fill it with water, you fill it with shade, and you fill it with seating. And you have a beautiful downtown space. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly, 100%. All right. Well, that's what we had this week, was me starting in one spot and finishing long into another because of my, uh, probably my ADD took me from one place to another in this show. But I really think that if you want to infuse nature We create spaces that put people in nature, and that is where the real change will happen, and that is where the rubber meets the road, or whatever term we want to use here. (laughs) Oh, that's as iron sharpens iron, Michael. You will always make me stronger. (laughs) 
as much as I want no roads for the rubber to be on, but it is what it is, right? Yeah. All right. Well, thank you all very much for listening. I appreciate you don't know, but we've done this show twice. So hopefully you enjoy it because you know, we got a little bit of practice. <laughs> Remember, if you want to help realistic sustainability, one of the most important things you can do for us is to share this episode with someone you think would like it or simply just post it on your social media. That's how we get more listeners. Every time you do that, we do greatly appreciate it. I also want to say thank you for Magic Mind, the drinks that I'm trying, those productivity drinks. I'll keep everybody updated on what I think. And thank you for them for letting us just be honest about it. And remember, the goal every single day is to get a little bit better. Little bit, little bit, big bit. Thank you so much. I'm Mike. I'm Nick. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. 